Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap. Any good? Wow. What a wonderful atmosphere. Isn't this fantastic? Bef before I introduce my wife, I want her to share for a moment. Let me just tie into what's happening for you for the future. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 says we've all been called into the ministry of reconciliation. And you're getting blessed. You're getting fed. You're a part. But we're to be a conduit. Everybody understand what a conduit is? We have any electricians in the house? Let me see your hand. Or amateur electricians and you're still alive because you didn't electrocute yourself. Anybody like that? Okay. Uh, a conduit just holds something so it passes through. But a pond, I grew up in southern Louisiana. We had a lot of ponds. And it just receives and doesn't give. And it, it gets green and nasty and smelly. And so you're receiving. And the way to continue to receive is realize we've got to expand. And we've got to be givers of ourselves. I am so excited. Now, listen, I've, I've declared over Pastor Clay now for two years, this is a regional church. Everybody say regional. And not only will you grow and continue to have people come, but you're going to come and equip people and send people out to affect all of eastern Kentucky. Can you see it? Do, do we have any seers in the house? Can you see that? Because you're changing the atmosphere, and it's awesome. We were driving over, and we entered into Clay County. My wife, she's prophetic. She goes, hello? <laughs> Clay County, huh? Hey, am I doing something wrong with that? Okay. Is this it? Okay. No, don't make me use your hand, but I will if I have to, Pastor. Clay County, Pastor, and it's not about Pastor Clay or Trish's wife. It's about all of us together. Does that make sense? And so what an exciting time. Now, I'm going I'm to make a plug here, too, and I'm going to pray over everyone to hear from the Lord about that. But, of course, I'm a minister. We raise boys, but as soon as they were old enough to do anything, we had them involved in ministry. So families, I mean, I, I don't know of all the ages or requirements, do it as a family. Do it as a team. My, my children served in children's church, and when they were old enough, nursery. We have stories about that. I can't tell them right now. Just they learned to serve, and then they got into instruments, and they were part of the worship team as teenagers. And you know what? They're serving the Lord today, and their wives and their children all over. And so how many parents want their kids to serve God when they're adults? will make priority the house of God to receive, but also to give. What a great opportunity. So you can serve one and receive it one. I like it. Do I have any buy-ins? Seriously, okay? And we do that. You watch what God's going to do. I, I know, well, we, the building won't be as full at first. No, but you're making room for more. And you're just, it's exciting what God's going to do because we've all been called to the ministry of reconciliation. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that this congregation sees the need to see this whole region transformed by the power of your word and your nature and who you are. So I thank you, Lord, as Pastor Clay and the leaders and the team step forward. The grace will be there, and the glory will just fall in such a way that they're going to be seeing people saved weekly and touched and filled with your spirit and transformed and set free. So we are excited about your business and what you're doing right here at City of Hope Church. And everybody says, come on, give Jesus another hand clap for vision. Vision. Yeah. Now, Pastor Clay asked me to speak on marriage. And I said, honey, you, you, when she wants to come, when she can, always with me, I said, it's not good for a man just to talk without the wife's side for a minute. And all the ladies said, that's weak, ladies. I gave, that's weak. But I want my wife, come on up. This is Jeanette. Would you welcome her? She's just going to share for a moment. Okay, I'm going to try and behave. Please do, please. Can someone turn him off for just <laughs> a minute? Um, I don't know how many of you are married, but how many are married to opposites? Yeah, don't look at me. You're lying, <laughs> those of you that are, are just kind of looking at me. Um, I wake up about 11 o'clock and shine between 11 and 2, so I'm going to do my best this morning. But I want to tell you this. 
I feel the Lord has a word for you as an individual, of course, as a body. My husband grew up in a family of all boys. I raised all boys. I'm familiar with boys. My mother-in-law kept putting pressure on me to have girls like it was my fault. So my, my boys carried out the mission, and the, I have two boys that have two girls, and uh, they each have one child, one girl each, and they've come, woo, girls, woo, woo. They are um, all there. They're a mess. One of them's name is Aria Maria Loalani Harrell. You can't hide from a name like that, and she doesn't. One of the things she said last year, she's four years old this year, she said, you know, I love surprises, mysteries, and Santa. <laughs> and she does. She gets that from me. You know, this time of the year, I think of Easter, and I think of the Blessed Cross. It's my favorite thing. The cross is my favorite thing. But another part of spring is Easter, and it's the Easter eggs and the opening of the eggs. And I don't just like the candy. I like the surprises in the eggs. And this morning I have three real quick things I want to give you as a little Easter surprise. The first thing is this. It's not about you. It's about your seed. Each person here has seed in their hand. You don't have to be married to have seed. You have influence. You have influence. You have influence on the soccer field. You have influence on the road. You have influence in your neighborhood. You have influence behind closed doors. I pray to God who you are in this room here, you are at home. Yeah. If you're not, it needs to change. That's how our children are transformed, because you're real, you're truthful, you're honest. How I am at Walmart, God help me. Yes. <laughs> so it's about your seed. The second thing is this, do not live in fear. Do not parent out of fear. Perfect love, not perfect faith, casts out fear. And that was a big shock to me because I always thought I had to build up my faith. But what I have to build up is my relationship with Jesus in order for the fear to go away. Mark grew up on a farm, and there's pasture way in the back with wild dogs. And the dog that they had at that time had been eaten and beaten up and just into a fight with all these wild dogs. And after that, Everywhere he went, he was always looking over his shoulder and running into walls. Fear will do that. Fear will cause you to flinch. Fear will cause you to react. Fear will cause you to react at the principal's office when they start telling you about your child. I know. I've done it. But don't parent and don't live out of fear. Don't walk out of fear. Live out of hope and of love. And then the third thing is this, and this is what I really felt in my spirit, and I felt like what Pastor Clay was saying, this goes right along with that. Don't live in shame. I know if we're a follower of Jesus, we've repented, we've asked forgiveness, but there sometimes is the shame that when you're at the stoplight, all of a sudden you have a vision of something really stupid you did, and you're embarrassed. All of us have, whether you're in school, whether you're at the mall, whether wherever you're at, all of a sudden, wow, I really did a stupid thing. Or maybe you had something stupid or foolish or done to you to bring shame. Well, the Holy Spirit says no more. You want to run the race without any of those arrows in your back. And so this is a scripture that I have for you. This is my little Easter egg gift I have for you to to walk out and to step into. It's Psalms 139, verse 5. Now, I'm reading out of the Passion Translation. You've gone. It's talking about Jesus. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, and in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. Someone needs to step into that today. To spare me from the harm of my past with your hand of love upon my life, 
you impart a blessing to me. The Bible says, surely goodness and mercy. And the other, an other definition for that word mercy in the Hebrew is kindness. Shall follow me all the days of my life. So I want to challenge this this morning. No more shame. No more shame. If you've repented, does that mean there's consequences? Of course, but it says he'll be there in the middle of it. But no more shame. No more fear. And treasure the seed he's given you and steward it well. Okay. Jeanette is a nurturer and an intercessor, so... uh, it's good to know who you are. In the morning, she don't even want to talk to me for a couple hours because she is in prayer and praying for so many things and just enjoys every moment. Okay, I'm supposed to speak on marriage, and I'm going to call this the uncommon family. Thank you for that great response. I appreciate that. I want you to not be common. I want you to stick out in a great way in the body of Christ, and in your community, wherever you live, whatever road, holler, whatever it is, you can stand out and people say there's something special about that family. And hopefully, prayerfully, your family is uncommon. So if you're married, this is for you. If you're single, this is for you. If you're single again, this is for you because it affects every realm of our life. You know, there's a chapter in the Bible that many are familiar with because it's read often at a wedding. What chapter in the Bible am I talking about? My wife said it. Does anybody else know it? Come on. I like participation. What is it? First Corinthians 13. Oh, it's so special. And But then I think a lot of times it just gets left there at the altar and not exemplified down the road or when they leave. It's called the love chapter. But the uncommon family has a love that really is going to last, and it's going to grow, and it's going to mature. People can talk about falling in love. Oh, Pastor, I'm falling in love. Kind of like it's a ditch or something. I, I'm not sure what, what they're all thinking about that. But really, folks, it's a choice. It's a wonderful choice. Thank God for healings, but it is a choice. So I don't want a couple getting married because they've fallen in love. I want a couple getting married because they have talked and communicated, gone over hurdles together and realized they're making a choice. Everybody say choice. And so it's so, so important. Matter of fact, when I've uh, performed weddings, Louisiana, where I'm from, or here, I will not do it unless the couple goes through a minimum of six months of counseling. It's quiet in this Presbyterian church today. Okay, help me. (laughs) It's and it has nothing to do with my ability, but materials and so forth. I, I, I want them to face things together, and we'll talk about things so they make conclusions together, and they grow. And why do we stop after the wedding like it's all done? It's just beginning. I mean, it's just beginning so you can go forward. Because I want everyone to go, anyone who gets married, to go from infatuation to a true commitment of what love is all about. So here we go. Here we go, 1 Corinthians 13, 7 and 8. Bring that up. Okay, love always what? Always what? Always what? Well, it, it really, I'm trying to help you go to the next word. Maybe I've explained all that. Let's try it again. Here we go. Always what? Start from the beginning. Always what? Always what? Always what? So love never fails. Love never fails. Help us, Lord. And that's not just pretty words at a wedding. When you let God work in you and in your life, you will have capacity to do more and grow into more in your marriage and true commitments than you you just didn't realize you had it, okay? Great relationships are possible when we allow God to mess with us continually. See, we're wanting God to mess with the other person. My wife says yes. Um, But let him mess with you. He's got to mess with you. So let's look at the Bible, the ideal, and you follow this in your home, 
you will be uncommon, and God will use you as an example. What are some ways to make love uncommon in family, in marriage? Apply it to your scenario, whatever it is right now. You know, if you were sitting around a table and you would say, now, Mark, what have you learned in all the years of marriage? My wife and I have now entered into our 42nd year of marriage. Give her a hand clap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about that? I'll give you five quick ones. And kind of we're doing the shotgun thing, but I'm going to zero in laser on one word because I have this one shot. So here we go. What are some things? Number one, make a covenant commitment. Everybody say covenant commitment. And the word I'm going to really be developing is the word covenant. I want you to understand it. You know, commitment is an interesting word. People talk about commitment and they value commitment. But you know what? You only need commitment when you really don't want to. When it's hard. That's when commitment gets the opportunity to work. When it's hard. You know, if, if you like sports, and I imagine many in here do, football, basketball, whatever, you love it. It's not a big commitment to go home and watch the game on TV, right? It's kind of fun. But let's take exercise and the gym. Even if you really have a commitment, sometimes you go just because of the commitment, not based on your feeling. And everyone says, and maybe I've said it, I don't know, but what is the hardest piece of equipment at the gym? The front door. So let's make a conclusion right up front that you may not like every moment, every growth opportunity in a marriage, in a covenant relationship that you might have with family, a child, a parent. But when you say, I'm going to step into commitment and let God work with me, you're headed in the right direction. So for an uncommon marriage, make the commitment to it. You can't have a growing relationship with God unless you make a commitment. You can participate. I mean, got to commit. Okay, you all have an opportunity starting next month to have a growing relationship with God. Seriously. Because it takes commitment. It takes devotion. It takes being there, uh, being taught, being equipped. The Bible says, draw nigh, nigh to me, and I'm going to draw nigh to you. And then you get the opportunity to display what he's doing. You know, I know there's scriptural grounds. I understand for divorce, but I'm going to encourage everyone in here that's married, just throw that word out of the vocabulary, okay? I mean, I know there's scriptural grounds. Let's just throw that out. Let's, let's just move forward with commitment and covenant. You'll never know the power of the relationship if there's not a certain level of safety in the relationship that you know the other person's not going anywhere. Because sometimes there's fear. And we've got to communicate to each other, I am here. Now, maybe Brother Clay heard my pastor, he went through Pastors University. Brother Larry uses this phrase. He told his wife, if you leave me, I'm going with you. <laughs> now, that's commitment. I love it. Secondly, celebrate differences. Hot dog. Now, Jeanette and I are values of the same and the things that are crucial, but as far as personality and expressions, we are totally different. But God's design, he's made us that way, and opposites do attract. So let's dispel, let's get rid of the, we're, we're not compatible anymore theory, okay? Pastor, we're just not compatible anymore. Well, you don't need to marry you, you need to marry someone opposite. And you've got to learn to celebrate that and appreciate that. So, good advice, men, here's some good advice for you, and, and I want the ladies to give me an amen or something. Let your lady be a lady. Yes. <laughs> Is my wife the only one in here with a loud mouth? Come on, help me out, church. <laughs> I, ladies, you missed it. Okay. Men, let your lady be a lady. Oh, that's weak, but I'll let you slide, okay? I mean, if you try to make her your co-partner out on the jackhammer and up on the roof and this and that, you're going to hate what you create. Amen. And ladies, 
let your man be a man. Oh, come on, let's give the man the man hand clap. Yeah. Which means he's going to want to maybe hunt occasionally, more than occasionally, fish, the ball game, whatever it is, because that rejuvenates him to be everything you need. Now, there again, tangent's not where it becomes the main highway with every break, but you're different. You're different, and that's okay. I recommend this if you've not used it. Have y'all um, used the disc profile for people? Husband, wife? okay, great. That's good to do periodically. When my wife and I took it, we it helped us go. Oh, you're not demon possessed. God made you that way. <laughs> you see, uh, we're, come on, we gotta laugh some. And you learn how God has made your spouse or your children, our family, our people. It helps you understand. Okay, so just certain things. When Jeanette says, honey, I have nothing to wear, it means I want a new outfit. When I say I have nothing to wear, it means nothing's clean, okay? So it's just, do you see how that works? It just works. But here's the point. That can either irritate you and frustrate you or you learn to celebrate it and enjoy it and even laugh. It's quiet in here again. Help me, Lord. I remember years ago, we still lived in Louisiana. We had small children. And I came in, and she's in the kitchen, and she's crying. You know, I mean, here we are. We had a nice home. We had food. And, and I'm looking at her. I said, you're crying? Yes. I said, what's, what's going on? What's wrong? And she's so funny. She said, I don't know. She came over to me. I don't know. You look inside and tell me. Ah, <laughs> which then I fall out laughing. She falls out laughing. You got to learn to laugh a little bit and celebrate differences. It's okay. You know, I'm talking to you precious people today. I want you to get a, something that all of you can take home, okay? Number three, continually work on communication. Continually work on communication. I heard this story about a couple. They've been married probably for about 20 years. And, you know, they had a good job. And, you know, they, their needs were being met and kids. And you can end up taking for granted what you have. Familiarity can breed discontent and so forth. And they're busy and all this type of stuff. But the wife noticed the new couple that lived next door now. They had moved in. And he would, she would look out the window and notice when he would drive home, she'd run out and greet him. And they're smiling all the time. There was laughter. And he even, she even noticed one time he brought her a gift home and she was so excited. And she's telling this to her husband when he came home and he's dis- distracted and so forth and telling the story. And she said, well, honey, how come you never do that? And he said, well, I don't even know the lady. How many know? He's there, but he ain't there. He's not getting it at all. You have to work on it. You know, I didn't, for today, I didn't just get up and just start talking. I had to work, think about points, scripture I'm going to show you in a minute, so that there was something of value in communication. Well, Mark, that sounds like I've got to consider all my words and timing, and this sure appears to be a lot of work. Yep. Yep. It really is. It's amazing how someone will work on communication on every other level with their boss, employees, their school, their friends, ball team, wherever they go, and they come home and they just drop all restraint, just all courtesy and treat the ones that they should be loving the most and communicating the most in such a way that it's degrading. That will not be heard of our homes because we're uncommon and everybody says, thank you. Yeah. No statistics show the average couple, let's call them the common couple, they only spend four minutes of meaningful communication a day. Four minutes. We know by nature women do have more words to express, twice the number daily, 30,000 as opposed to 15,000. But are you well communicated? Do you, 
the social aspect, you know, bills, mowing the grass, the day, details, the kids, schedules. When you have teenagers, I mean, your schedules are crazy, right? I mean, finances, children, spiritual conversations. And I'm going to tell you, if you do this right, as you mature in age and you grow older, really, so much of your communication becomes spiritual. Matter of fact, everything relates to spiritual because suddenly you realize things will outlast you and outlive you if you've done this right. Communication is critical to any family relationship for trust and for peace. Being valued, work on it, be present, turn some things off. Hot dog. I called the cell phone and the iPad and the computer the blessed curse. They're a blessing, but they're a curse. Let me help you, men, so that you can be present. Any men, any men want some advice? Ladies, do you want your man to have some advice? Okay. I love participation. Men, I'm going to give you the four most romantic words. Are you ready? You ought to write it down, or wives write it down. You know, your wife's talking to you. I'm going to give you the four most romantic words. Ready? And then what happened? And just sit down, and you're going to hear. And you're going to be present. I helped someone there. Everybody say communication. communication. Number four, feed the romance. Feed the romance. Now, this, this is more than just the sexual aspect. It's the whole, um, just the touching of the spirit and heart, okay? Now, I'm from southern Louisiana, F-I-R-E. You say it, fire. Everybody say fire. fire. Eastern Kentucky. <laughs> say it. Far. <laughs> you beat me to the punch, but you already know because you live here. <laughs> wow. Far. Okay. All romance can burn out because fire or burns out. It's not the fireplace's fault. It's not its fault. You got to get you some wood and a match. It takes work. A fire, fire or goes out by design. It goes out by design. In fact, for some of you ladies, the last time you said, turn out the lights and lock the doors when his parents are driving up the driveway. That was supposed to be funny, but anyway, we've got to work on this humor part a little bit. They're, they're not getting it. You have to put some wood on the fire. Don't allow your feelings to drive this process. Or a fence. Thank you, honey. I love it. But this is how we do it back home. She helps me out. She'll give me a point. I'll go, yeah, that's right. You've got to feed it. You've got to feed it. It takes intentionality, especially with the complications of work, responsibility, maintenance of a home, children. Come on. When Jeanette and I were courting, and might have been even when we first got married, She's, she's, oh, honey, would you go have a hot breakfast every morning? I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool, every morning. <laughs> well, about seven or eight years into the marriage, you know where I'm going with this. Um, you know, we had two children. We, we had no family around, even though we lived in my home area. We, we had no other support other than believers. Was, there was no family to lean on. And it was early, still in the middle of the night, and one of the babies started crying and kind of just lay there still thinking, who will get up first? Come on, how many have played that game? So it's that scenario. A baby's crying, and we're both laying in bed. We're awake. And I go, you always have a hot breakfast. <laughs> She's so witty. Okay, silence for about 15 seconds. She says, oh, go torture flakes. <laughs> Gosh, y'all don't laugh much at my jokes. I got to work on this. And then we both fell out laughing. I mean, you know, you can't take yourself too serious. But romance, just connecting of the heart, you've got to work on it. Number five, put Jesus at the center. And that really should have been number one. 
and I didn't use the word keep him. You got to work on this. You got to work on this. It's not an option. Put him. Put him. You got to constantly be putting him at the center. He must be in the center of it all. If you leave the Lord out of the process or neglect the priority of him ruling and reigning in your life, which then ex- exposes itself to the marriage, the way he created, it just gets difficult. The Bible says it this way in Psalm 127, verse 1, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Well, that's what I'm going to do, Pastor. I'm going to let the Lord build this house. <clears throat> no, he wants to work with you. The Holy Spirit wants to walk right alongside of you so you lean into the Lord and he helps you build the house. You have to continue allow the inventor of the process speaking to you so you stay in process. You can't do it in your own unrenewed thinking. Maybe you can't do it the way you were raised. Uh, my wife and I, we both had godly families, but there were some things we knew we needed to change. We had to change. So there's no, there's no such thing as a perfect home. Okay. Thank you. I am. I'm trying to get an amen from someone. There's no, there's no such thing as a perfect home. It doesn't exist. Everyone has bumps. You grew up in situations and personalities. So you need to keep the Lord in the center. You've got to. I mean, if you want to do it your own way, you're going to mess it up. And the way God defines it is with a word many know nothing about, and it's that word covenant. Covenant. And that's really the only point I'm going to be talking about for the remainder of our time together. Make a covenant commitment, not a casual or convenient arrangement, but a covenant commitment. Let's look at this in the Old Testament in regards to what God saw that was taking place. It really was breaking his heart. God designed the Old Testament wanting to show his people and future people like you and I, okay, how to do life, godliness, everything. But with you driving it all by just rules and regulations, things that you got to do or have to do in order to be accepted, You're going to be frustrated, and you're going to fail because no one can follow every rule perfectly. And it really was a preparation for the Lord's coming. I need generations to live this way to show you you really can't do it without me because I'm sending the Savior. Okay? In fact, it says in the New Testament, he found fault with the old covenant knowing that no one could really pull it off. What a relief for us, because right now I'm reading some of the laws and things he had to do and sacrifices. Aren't you glad you didn't have to bring Fido to church today and kill him on the altar? I mean, really, think of all the things they had to do and just right to be accepted by God. And we find that in Malachi, the failure as people try to pursue God and live successfully. I believe Pastor Clay used this verse or this portion of Scripture recently, but let me revisit it with you for a few moments. Malachi 2, starting in verse 13, it says, You flood the Lord's altar with tears. In other words, you're going to church. You're there. You're not a pagan somewhere else. You're at church. Everybody say, I'm at church. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask why. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. Notice this is addressing men. The Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. I have been watching how you define your relationships, and you're not doing it my way. You're doing it your own way. And by the way, God is on the front porch. like He's just there. Come on home. Come, come to me. He's not here to kill us or condemn us. He's just trying to show us what not to do and what to do. I'm so glad God's not this God that says, you got what you deserve, buddy. He always says a way for us to come back home. Reading on, you have been unfaithful to her, though she is 
your partner. The husband's responsibility, you have, you're defining under your own terms. And then God says this. He defines it this way. She is the wife of your marriage what? Covenant. Marriage what? Covenant. That's what you did wrong. He's letting them know. And he defines it even more. Has not the one God who made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. Yes, literal children, spiritual children, people you're mentoring, people you're helping, godly offspring. When you make relationships decision based on your own terms, it impacts everyone else around you, especially children. Now, we've been around this circle long enough. This sit in our first rodeo, and we have watched through the years whether when we were pastoring in Louisiana or Somerset for the last 33 years, when a couple doesn't do this right or they get offended at each other, or offended at the Lord or whatever, and they make wrong decisions, inevitably the children suffer tremendously. And sometimes they don't serve God. You name it, it happens. Are you with me? You heard Jeanette when she got up here. So I'm just quoting her phrase. This is original to her. It's not about you. It is about your seed. So covenant and your understanding, it's for the next generation and those that you're raising up and those you're discipling. It's for the people that are going to be coming in when you go to two services. Man, they, they, they need to grow in this and see the uncommon families. I know it's a little inconvenient, but my, I mean, come on, it's Sunday morning. Just say we're going to block out Sunday morning to receive and serve, receive and serve. Maybe receive and pray if we have enough people fulfilling. How about prayer warriors in another room? I've got prayer warriors right now back in Somerset praying right now. See, how about that? Wouldn't that be great? And uh, regional effect. If we will walk in humility and brokenness, with all the things that would need to expand and change and grow, not holding on to my low position, whatever, just whatever, whatever I need to do, whatever I need to give up, and just grow with the vision as family. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to see what the Lord is going to do. I see it. Do you see it? Oh, I hope you see it. Got off on a tangent, but it was good. Help me, Lord. He defines it even more, and we just read that about a godly offspring. It's about your seed. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect. What do we read in 1 Corinthians 13? Love always protects. You know, in the moment where you've had enough, whatever it is, husband and wife, Something that should be a covenant relationship, it needs to kick in. Because that's when every relationship needs someone that loves them at their worst moment. Covenant is a big word until you've got to apply it. Choose to protect. Protect, says the Lord Almighty, so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. And Jesus said that's the kind of relationship he's willing to have with us. He defines it in Luke 22, verse 20. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying this cup is the new covenant. Everybody say covenant. And how was it made? In my blood, which is poured out for you. So covenant in the New Testament is really moving to blood covenant, a deeper commitment than just rules from the old. It's deeper. Theological term that basically means the best relationships possible are the ones that you consider blood relationships, blood covenants. That's where we get the colloquialism, blood is thicker than you know it as well. Some people will go to the ends of the earth for a child. Hear me on this, for a child, but not for their spouse. 
Kind of like, well, they, they came into this relationship. That's my blood here. And that is an error. That's a lie of the devil. And we got to knock that one out of the park over the fence and we don't get the ball back. Are you with me? And if you don't understand blood covenant, you could look at certain ones as disposable or marginalize them. And God says in Malachi, that's the problem. You need to redefine a relationship according to Jesus' blood relationship. Like I said, any caring parent will go to the ends of the earth for a not-headed child. Won't we? We'll do it. And that's how we need to find every relationship that matters, especially the marriage vow and the commitment in marriage. I love it when I see an older couple, much older than us, I'll clarify that, and and they've been married for years, and they love one another, and they laugh. I mean, we're determined we're going to laugh our way to eternity. Not laughing at people, but just able to laugh and enjoy life together. You know, in some cultures, get this, maybe, maybe I'm going to give Pastor Clay um, an idea for marriages from here on. But in some cultures, when the couple is getting married, they cut the hands and put their hands together and wrap a scarf around them for the remainder of the ceremony to indicate this is now a blood covenant relationship. Don't give Pastor Clay too sharp of a knife or I meant there might be a bloody mess. What's that? Yeah, use ketchup. But, but, but think about it. It's showing, wow, this is serious. I heard one minister one time at a wedding, he says, they came up, he says, welcome to the funeral. Two individuals willing to die to serve. How about that? It's a good thought. God doesn't see marriage or blood relationship, blood covenant relationships as disposable. So here's the thought when you face a major disappointment. In the marriage, with a child, someone you know you, you want to have that covenant continue. When you hear the scenario, or you hear what the kid did or whatever, you're angry. Come on. You're mad. You're disappointed. You're frustrated. All that type of stuff. Here's the first sentence you need to tell them. You have never needed me more than you need me right now. And the second statement is, I have never loved you more than I do right now. And that's allowing the blood covenant response to speak higher than our feelings. You've never needed me more than you need me right now, and I've never loved you more than I love you right now. And God would do the miracle. Relational commitment and covenant is not needed when everything's going well. No, but you need someone on your worst day. <clears throat> and the way that God defines that is calling us into marriage, calling us into home, even calling us into church, understanding covenant. Three distinctions between God's terms in the world. To go through this real quickly, I see the time. Number one, covenant relationships are built on mutual commitment. Mutual commitment. Commitment means being willing, listen, being willing to be unhappy while we work it out. And a contractual mindset, which is how the world does it, they even decide, if they even decide to get married, you know, normally they just live together. It's based on mutual distrust. Distrust. Have you ever read a contract? Have you ever signed a contract? My goodness. Last time we bought a car years ago, and we didn't even have to borrow that much. I sat there, and my hand was exhausted. You know why? They're saying, we know you're going to mess up, and we want to make sure we're protected when you don't pay this note. It's amazing how that works. The language is consequences if you mess up. So the party you're in contract with, they're just protecting themselves. A lot of people go into marriage that way. It's basically the other party saying, I don't trust you, 
and I'm going to make sure I am okay. Help us, Lord. Another distinction. Covenant surrenders rights and assumes responsibility. I surrender my rights, and I assume responsibility. So I don't go into this wanting to you to serve me, but what can I do to serve you? Now, years ago in Louisiana, because my wife and I were over the college and career uh, singles ministry in a large church, so we, we had them getting married constantly. So I kind of wrote a premarital counseling thing, and, and one of the questions I put in it, uh, wrote in there for them to fill out, what do you expect to receive in this marriage? And it's really a trick question. Because if they put all this stuff of, well, they're going to do this for me, and they're going to do that for me, and I realize, okay, we need to work on some stuff. One very mature young man said, I expect to receive $50,000 debt of her school loan that I'm now going to assume and pay off. Man, I gave him a high five and a handshake, and I said, you are understanding surrender. And you're saying, What's yours is mine, and what mine is yours, and some of what is yours is a lot of debt. But I assume responsibility for it. Isn't that cool? It's quiet in here. Okay. No, that's, that's your bill. You've got to take care of that. No, I'm, I'm going to take care of that. But a contract protects rights, and it just shirks responsibility. It just shoves it off. Here's the last one. Covenant has the interest of the other in mind. So I'm thinking about you all the time. Statement I heard, not original with me, but the greatest relationship in the world, relationships in the world is when two servants are in love. Two servants are in love. The most destructive relationships in the world is when two masters are in love. Two masters. Got to do what's best for me. Or who's, who sang the song, I Did It My Way? Can't think. Frank Sinatra, we're dating ourselves. Can't do it your way. Got to do it God's way. Someone could tell me after service, Mark, I get it, I believe it, but it, it sounds so hard, not real doable. And you're right if you're trying to do it on your own strength. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God. He wants to be your best friend, folks. In his whole ministry, according to John 16 and 17, is to walk right beside you and make Jesus personal to you. So you understand the heart of Jesus. Two final thoughts, and I'm going to pray. Help fuel the principles, truth that we just have looked at in Scripture about covenant. And my challenge to you, if you'll do these two thoughts first, if you'll do, not, not the other one, not the kid, not the parent, not the spouse, if you'll do it first, then you decide if they don't work or not. Let me know in about six months, okay? I believe it's going to work. In fact, if you apply this to every relationship that matters to you, you'll come into more covenant understanding, covenant commitment. And I'm just going to call us to covenant commitment to the relationships that matter. Who are they? You know. You know how many. Number one would be your spouse, children, people you're responsible for in our home, in the relationships here in the church. Don't look continually back at disappointments or I was hurt before. Look, I've eaten a bad meal or two where I've gotten food poisoned. Not, not under my wife. Let's clarify that. Never. How many has ever gotten food poisoning before? Let me see your hand. Put it up high. Well, you got over it and you ate again. Right? So we've all had disappointment in relationships. We've got to let the Lord help us get over it. Number one, get this, love is not a feeling, it's a choice. It's a choice. I'm still amazed at how many people live their lives qualifying how they live their life based on how they feel. Get off of social media. Get off the shows that just do everything based on feeling. Feelings will lie. Love doesn't necessarily give the person what they deserve. It gives them what they need. And you might be thinking, I know what I'd like to do right now. I'd like to send you off into exile, but I'm not. I'm not. I choose the love of God flowing through me. The language of the Bible says it this way, Colossians 3.14. Here we go. Look at this. And over all these virtues, that's a huge statement, 
And the next word, it doesn't say love. What does it say? Put on love. Above all the virtues, put on love. In other words, it ain't there right now, maybe. Kind of like your winter coat. You step outside in this coat. Ooh, you run back in and put it on. You would have done that over the last couple of days. You have to put it on like it's not there. You might not feel it. And if you do, it binds all these other virtues, everything else, in perfect unity. So make a choice. And if you make that choice, you will need this. Number two, capacity then to love comes from the fact you have received love. You've received it. I'm going to put it on, and I'm going to receive it. Well, how do I do that? 1 John 4, 19, we love each other because he loved us first. So I pray this last verse over you before I turn it back over to Pastor Clay. Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. I pray that Christ will be more and more at home in your heart. Having within you as you trust him. May your roots go deep into the soil of God's marvelous love. And may he be able, may you be able to feel and understand because the roots are going down because you're receiving his love. How long, how wide, how deep, and high his love really is. And experience this love for yourselves. I've got to receive that. I've got to make the choice. And I've got to enter into blood covenant, especially with my wife. Let me pray for you. I pray for marriages first. Father. I thank you for every marriage here. May something, a scripture, a thought, just bring a greater opportunity for their commitment to go deeper. Lord, I pray for singles and singles again. May they feel the support of their church family. Strengthen everyone relationally. Let them connect to life-giving friendships. Put healthy covenant relationships around them so that when or if they marry, they will only go into a blood covenant relationship with their spouse. Father, may this church, City of Hope Church, be known as a place of covenant keeping, especially with the homes represented. Help every home, any struggle they're in. And I thank you, Lord. We'll be careful to give you all the praise, glory, and honor. And everyone says...